Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. He is the Word of God, a prophet, a servant. He is the bread of life, the shepherd and the lamb. He is the messenger. The humble king. He is the Son of God. He was rejected and abandoned. He was betrayed and condemned. He was mocked and beaten, bruised and pierced. He was crucified and buried. But the nails could not hold him. The cross could not finish him. The stone could not keep him. Death could not defeat him. He is our ransom and our redeemer. He is our deliverer and our refuge. He is mighty. He is glorious. He is holy exalted. He is our Savior, and He is risen. Yes, indeed. He certainly is worthy of our praise today. Amen? Well, good morning, church. Welcome to the Open Bible Baptist Church on this resurrection morning, this Easter Sunday, and uh, on behalf of the staff and the church, we, of course, bid to you the, the most blessed day. Trust that you have an awesome day and that you enjoy every, every bit of it because we serve a risen Savior. Amen. And He's in the world today. Amen. We're excited, aren't you? Amen. Amen. Join me, if you would, in the Gospel of Matthew this morning and the 28th chapter. Did you ever, did you ever feel like just standing up in church, maybe standing on a pew and shouting? Did you ever have that experience? Did you ever just want to get up from your seat and run around the room and just shout? That's how I felt this morning. I mean, the choir did an unbelievable job. What a great song, Midnight Cry. And then uh, the worship team and, and Sister Christie. I mean, that's just awesome music. And I just felt like shouting. But I thought if I did, you might get a little bit nervous and think me to be a Pentecostal or something and kick me out. So. I just behaved myself, but man, I had a good time. Thank you for all the work that was put into that, that music this morning. It blessed my heart, and I'm sure blessed, blessed the heart of those that were, that were here. I want to read the record for us this morning together in verse 1 down through verse number 10. This is the record of the resurrection of our Savior Jesus. It begins in verse number 1. I'm in Matthew's Gospel, the 28th chapter, first verse. And here's what the Bible says. In the end of the Sabbath... As it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. 
And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and then sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment, his clothing, white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and become as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women that were there, Fear, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And then in verse number 7, he tells them to go quickly. Tell his brethren that he's risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, I have told you. In verse 8, they depart. They departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, <laughs> look at this, Jesus met them saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then he said unto them, be, be, be not afraid, go tell my brethren, go to Galilee, and there shall they see me. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his holy word. You know, when you begin to read this text of Scripture, uh, the opening verses place us on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the crucifixion. And uh, the scene of the crucifixion has been replaced. The followers of Jesus are now no longer at the foot of the cross, but they're standing they're standing outside the empty tomb. And I can't help but kind of read into it with a little bit of sanctified imagination. Did you ever do that? Did you ever read the Bible and try to make some sense of it? And so you use what we call sanctified imagination. <laughs> and I, I can't help but believe as they stood there, uh, they were somewhat confused. They were somewhat maybe stunned because this all took them, you know, like a storm, Right? I mean, they go from their common, ordinary, everyday lives of being fishermen and public workers, a tax collector, ordinary common folk like you and I, to following, to following the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, watching him, witnessing, experiencing things like they, they, they never have before, right? I mean, you've read some of the gospel accounts and some of the things Jesus did, I mean, he was 100% man, but 100% God at the same time. And he did, he just did divine all the time, you know. And so they watched him uh, heal and raise the dead and, and provide, you know, food and provision, miracle after miracle. And in the midst of that, they would hear him often predict his own death, you know. But they gave up, I mean, they gave up their lives for this cause, and I don't think they fully understood exactly what he was trying to communicate when he told them about the crucifixion. And then there they stood that day where Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, their Lord, is crucified, buried. Now, he predicted he'd come back, but here he is, he's buried, and he's in, in tomb. And so they go down on that Easter morning to dress the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure they were somber and in a state of mourning, you know, when all of a sudden, you know, as you read the text as I, there's an earthquake, and then there's an angel sitting on the, the tomb stone uh, rolled away from the opening of it, and then this angel begins to speak to them. Now, I'm not sure how you read your Bible. Sometimes I just read it matter-of-factly. Hello? 
right? I mean, just read it. And then there's some times and I say, good grief, uh, what would I do if I were there? I mean, to tell you, I'd have been shaking in my boots, right? Earthquake, first of all, the earthquake would have shook me up. And then all of a sudden, there's an angel there, you know, and I mean, he's all angelic-like, you know, his clothing pure white and got this glow about him, you know? And I mean, we just read it like it happened at Walmart yesterday. And, and all of a sudden, the angel begins to speak to these ladies, these Marys. And there were several Marys in the Bible, you know. And the angel says uh, to the Marys, hey, girls, I, I, know, I know why you're here. I know why you're here, but he's not here. He's risen just like he said he would. Huh? And I, I think maybe stunned and a bit, a bit confused, uh, the angel then says, come on, come and see the place where he lay. Come on, I'll show you. And I don't know if they went or not. I, I think they were just kind of like, and then he says to them, of course, we read the text here, verse number seven, go ahead, go, go and quickly tell his disciples that he's risen. Isn't that a great story? I don't know if I could read it any better, if I could do it any more justice, because it's just, it's just powerful. And, and the impact of that story is life-changing, you know? But as we've studied over the last few weeks the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28, here's what we discovered. We discovered that uh, Matthew speaks to us about a, a commission, a great commission, in fact, we studied it, if you've been here with us, we studied Matthew 28 backward. We started in verse 20. You usually don't read the story from the back to the front, do you? I do. When I read a book, I always read the last chapter. No, I, I can't wait to get to the, you know. But we started the study from verse 20 and back. We found a, a, a great commission where the Lord Jesus himself in the resurrected state then commissions the church, those New Testament believers, to take this message into all the world. We studied that, you remember? And then right in the middle in verse number 11 through uh, 15, there's a cover-up. There's a great cover-up. They tried to cover up the truth. They, hi they tried to hide the truth of the resurrection of Christ. You know, uh, didn't turn out that great. So we saw a great commission, and then we saw a great cover-up. But here, here is what I see. I see in verse number 6, a great confession. A great confession. You know what a confession is? I don't mean confessing your sin. Confession in the Bible means to agree, but it also means to declare. And so a confession in, in, in this state is a declaration. And what, what you find is this, there's a declaration of truth. There's a declaration of their faith. We have what we call here uh, at Open Bible, all churches have something called a profession of faith. You know what that is? The profession of faith, our profession of faith is our embodiment of our beliefs right? It's everything that, that we believe. We believe, we would say this, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? We believe that Jesus did die on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And as uh, the choir sang, and as our sister sang a moment ago, we believe that same Jesus one day is coming back for us. Amen? Amen? And, and we kind of believe it's going to be soon, you know? Uh, I have no evidence of that. I just kind of like to believe that. Don't, don't try to take that from me, please. <laughs> it helps me some days to think he might come back today and get me out of here, right? You know? <laughs> Amen? 
So that is our profession of faith. And we make that declaration. We make that personal. That is my confession of faith. Well, here in this text, what you have is the confession. The confession here is our cornerstone of faith. He is risen as he said. Our Savior Jesus is alive. He was crucified, buried, and on the third day, he rose again, just like he said he would. That's powerful. Amen? And that is the cornerstone uh, of our faith. I, I like the way Paul describes it. He talks about Jesus' death being victory, victory for all humankind. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, look at the screen. The Bible says this, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? He's, he goes on and says, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. I like the word victory, don't you? Huh? I, I like the fact that as God's kids, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are on the winning side. I like to win. You know what the alternative is, don't you? You know what they say today? Participating. No, you either win or you lose, and I like to win. I'm competitive, and I'm glad I'm on the winning side, aren't you? And the Bible says that Jesus Christ has conquered death. He has conquered the grave for all humankind for all time. That's those past, present, and those that will come in the future. Jesus Christ has settled it all. And so today we celebrate, don't we? We celebrate the, the, uh, the uh, empty tomb. We celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ has conquered sin. We celebrate our faith today. He's not here. He is risen, as he said. And that's a great, that's a great confession. That's a great declaration, right? The angel said, he's not here. He's risen. You know, as I read my Bible, I find that there are other great confessions or declarations. For example, many of us know Psalm 23, right? We call it the 23rd Psalm. It's a great psalm, isn't it? You know the psalm begins with the psalmist making a declaration? Yeah. Uh, flip it, fellas. The Bible says this, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. You know what that is? That's a declaration. That's a confession. The psalmist didn't say the Lord is the shepherd. No, the psalmist said the Lord is He's my shepherd. So, you know what I like to believe there? I like to believe there that the psalmist was, was taking ownership of God. The psalmist was taking ownership of his relationship with God. The psalmist was making it personal. Are you with me? Huh? See, we come to church today, it's Resurrection Sunday, it's Easter Sunday, it's what the Christian world does, but we've got to make it personal. We have got to take ownership of it. Huh? And so the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. That's a declaration. You read through the New Testament and you'll find several things mentioned about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called the great shepherd. He's called the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, and he is a great shepherd, and he is a good shepherd, but that'll never help us until he becomes uh, my shepherd. He's my shepherd. 
And as a result, when you read Psalm 23, because it is a great psalm, isn't it? Huh? Great psalm. When you read Psalm 23, everything that follows is a result of that declaration. For example, the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd, and then he said, I shall not want. I shall not want. Look here. He can only say, I shall not want, because he first said, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm taking ownership of my relationship with God. Hello, are you with me? I'm taking ownership of God and my relationship with, and as a result, I shall not want. You know what he said? He said this, he maketh me to lie. He leadeth me beside. That's all a result of my relationship with him. My favorite part, I think, is this. Uh, Steve, I think, about, I think about, you know, I know you've just suffered some death. I know we go through it. I love the part where the psalmist says in the 23rd Psalm, he lead, uh, uh, though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death. Uh, and he said this, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Why? All because I have a personal relationship with God. What a declaration. Isn't that a great declaration? Huh? I read of another one, Luke's Gospel, first chapter. We read the words of a young virgin woman. Her name? Mary. Mary. And you know what she said? Go ahead and flip it, fellas. Here's what she said in verse 46. Mary said, my soul does magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Isn't that a great declaration? That's another confession of faith. The psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Mary says, I, my, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. You know this about Mary. I think sometimes she, I think she gets a bad rap from some of us. You know, we, we've had some religious groups that have put Mary on a pedestal and taught us to worship her. And then there's the other groups that try to knock her down. But she was a blessed woman. And if you think about it, you think about this, she, 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 she had a unique mm, position in the life of Christ. And every time you read the Jesus story, she's behind the scenes somewhere. Think along with me. She was there when Jesus came into this earth. Hello? She was there at his entrance. You know, it was a barn, it was a stable, it wasn't anything special. But she was there, and she was there when Jesus exited the earth. Hello? She was at the foot of the cross. She heard her son, uh, Jesus, say on the cross, you know, those unbelievable sayings like, I thirst. Uh, she heard her son, Jesus, say, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? She heard that. And then she faintly heard Jesus call to John while on the cross, and he said something to John, and Mary may have been in, in kind of like, you know, in the, in the crowd, and she may have said to somebody else, what did he say? What, what, what was that? Because Jesus looked at John, and he said, John, behold thy mother. Mother, behold thy son. What was he saying? John, take care of my mother, because I'm going to be leaving. What a unique perspective this Mary, this blessed Mary, this virgin woman would have had on Jesus. And I believe that she was one of the Marys that was at the resurrection. I think she was there on Easter morning. I don't think you could have kept her away. Huh? 
And I think this, she was the very first person on earth to know exactly who this Jesus was. Isn't that right? And in this text, and even though sometimes I think we've made, we've made her divine, I think sometimes we've elevated her above a position that maybe God would have had us to do. In this text, she calls the Lord Jesus Christ, my God, my Savior. He's my Savior. What a declaration. You know what she's saying? She's saying, like the psalmist said, I'm going to take ownership of my relationship with God. I'm going to make it personal. Huh? He's, not only, he's not only God, but He's my Savior. I like that, don't you? And then I couldn't help but think about John chapter number 20. John 20 finds the Apostle John uh, making a record of what I would call post-resurrection events. Jesus is already resurrected from the grave, you know. And, and John, John records some of the things that happened. You know, Jesus told his disciples to gather and wait for him. Now, many of them, pay attention right here, many of them saw him in his post-resurrected state. <laughs> it must have been amazing. And, and he says to them, he says, I want you guys to gather together, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to come and visit with you. And I can just imagine, couldn't you just imagine those guys getting together uh, in a room? I mean, they, they, were all, they were all at the crucifixion. They all saw him crucified. Of course, they spent three and a half years with him, but saw him crucified, and then saw him in his, in his resurrected state, you know? I can just imagine the adrenaline pumping as they got together, high-fiving, fist-pumping, you know, smacks on the back, rubbing each other's hair. I mean, just excited, right? Why? Because Jesus is alive, and we've seen him, and he told us to wait, and he's going to come, man, this is going to be good. I mean, if you're an Italian, you're having... You know, you're having pasta alla vodka with vodka sauce. You're having pizza with pepperoni and sausage, Bob. I mean, you're waiting. It's going to be good. Grandpa's coming over. Man, these disciples are pumped. They're excited. But there was one in the crowd who just was struggling. You see, when Jesus appeared to the other disciples, Brian, he wasn't there. And, and even, during, even during his ministry... When, when, when he decided to follow Jesus, there were times when he would struggle and he would ask questions. Huh? Right? And by the way, you know, sometimes I think we feel that it's, it's, it's voodoo, it's, it's taboo, you know, it's, it's wrong to ask questions. But, but when you ask the right questions, you get the right answers. Huh? And I think some of us uh, doubt a little bit more than we are willing to let on. Huh? So here, here's this fella, and, and he's in the room with, with all the boys, and he hears the rumor that Jesus appeared to them, but he's struggling in his faith because he didn't see it. And he may have mumbled. John, John heard him, and John records it. He may have mumbled something like this. Yeah, I know you guys have seen it, but I, I can't believe it until I see him. In fact, I want to put my, I want to put my hand, I want to touch the, I want to touch the scars in his hands and inside. And guess what happens? Right about then, right about then, Jesus appears in the room, and he focuses attention right on Thomas. And here's what he says to Thomas. He says, Thomas, if you, if you must, go ahead and touch me. Go ahead and touch me. You know what Thomas said? 
Flip it, guys. Here's what Thomas said. My Lord and my God. Are you with me? My Lord and my God. I, I, I think he was just absolutely overwhelmed. He probably said, no need to touch. You are my... He began to own his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He owned his relationship with God. He's now my Lord and my God. And if you've paid attention over the last couple of minutes, you've seen a common thread in each of these stories, a common thread in each of these examples. And here's the common thread. Each of those individuals took ownership of their relationship with God. Huh? Did you see it? Right? The psalmist said, the Lord is, he's my shepherd. My shepherd. Mary said, my soul does magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And after Thomas sees the risen Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God. They took ownership of their relationship with the Lord. Oftentimes, you see in the Bible invitations given. In fact, the Lord himself gives an invitation. You remember that text in Matthew's Gospel, 11th chapter, where Jesus said, he said this, he says, come unto me, all ye. And then he finishes it with, you know, you find rest in your soul. If you're, if you're wearied, if you're laboring, just come unto me. I think one of the great invitations in the Bible is Isaiah, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, where Isaiah says, the Lord's speaking uh, for, he's speaking for the Lord. He says, the Lord said, come, 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 let us reason together. Though your sins be red like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Come. What an invitation. And you know, when you go back to that text, can I draw your attention back to verse number 6? After the, the angel makes the great confession, the great declaration, he's not here, for he is risen as he said. What's the next word? Come. 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 Just, just come. In other words, what he's saying is this. You need to come to a place in your life where you own the story. Amen. Where you own the story. You've heard the story, and what a great story, is it not? The gospel message it's all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. What a great story. And I remember hearing that story, man, from when I was just a little boy. You know, I believe when I was just a little boy that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose again. I didn't understand it. I've never seen it happen before. I've only heard of it. In fact, at that point in time, I didn't even read it for myself. Other people read it to me. But what a great story. The death, burial, resurrection of Christ. But then there came a day, there came a day when I owned the story. I'll never forget it. You know, I was, I was uh, preaching just this past Friday someplace, and the Lord allowed me to share a little bit of my testimony uh, to help those that were there. That were there. They were born, mourning the death of a loved one. And I, and I told them, they, they were, they were kind of like me. I grew up Roman Catholic. And, and from the time I can remember, I went to church. I'll never forget that. I, I, in fact, when I was probably third, fourth, fifth grade, sixth grade, maybe, I don't know, I became what they call an altar boy. So I not only went to church, went to Mass, I served in the Mass. You know my favorite part? Any, any ex-Roman Catholics here? Right? Go ahead, be proud of it. Go ahead. Anybody stole a Catholic? Go ahead. It's okay. It's okay. You know, they say, once a Catholic, always you die Catholic. You know? Catholic dead. 
You know my favorite part of the Mass? Ringing the bells. Yeah. Did you ever go to Mass? How many people have been to a Mass? I used to love to ring the bells. I used to play the drums when I was a kid. You know, I was in the band. I used to play the drums. So ringing the bells was the closest I can get to beating the drums. They didn't have drums on the altar when I was in a Catholic, and maybe they do today. They didn't then, you know, but I used to love to ring the bells. Huh? And I never forgot this. I mean, from, from kindergarten to senior, I mean, I graduated from a Catholic high school. Eight years of being under the tutelage and the abuse of the nuns. Because if you're a Catholic, you know you got beat up if you're a boy. That's just the way they kept you in line. And then I went to high school and was under the tutelage and the abuse of the Christian brotherhood. And there was, there was nothing brothers about them, man. And I came out of there, graduated with the same knowledge of God, same knowledge of Jesus, same knowledge of salvation as I went in with. I could have told you this. I could have told you that I believe that Jesus died, was buried, rose again. I could have told you that because it was drilled into me. But if you were to ask me back then, when I was 18 years old, graduating out of high school, do you have a personal relationship with God? I, 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 that's how I would have answered. If you would ask me then, uh, so now that you've graduated from uh, a Catholic high school, are you going to go to heaven when you die? I would have said, uh, I don't think so. Nobody can know that for sure. Because that's what you're taught as a Catholic. Nobody can know for sure. In fact, it would be a sin if you were to even to assume that you can go to heaven. Purgatory? Maybe. And I thought for sure I was going to purgatory. I wasn't as bad as my friends who were going to hell for sure. <laughs> I was going to purgatory. Huh? You know, you know, you know, you know hell was bad. Purgatory is worse. Purgatory is hotter than hell. The good thing is you can get out. You can get out of purgatory. I don't know where you go when you get out, but you can get out. So you get out of one fire just to go into a lesser fire. I don't know. But they asked me that question, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you. But some of my family members met the Lord Jesus Christ personally. They got saved. And, and Jesus became not just the Savior, but they were saying He was my Savior. They were making this declaration of faith. They were making this confession of faith. They were taking on Eddie and my cousin Eddie sitting back there. Ed, you remember when our family members were getting saved, and they were, they were just taking ownership of it. It's unbelievable. And you know what they would do? They would pray for those of us who weren't saved in the family, you know. And they thought they were being really secretive about it. We knew. You know. And they would pray things like this, Lord, make them unhappy. Lord, make them miserable. Lord, dry up his money. Lord, do whatever you got to do to get him saved. And I'd say, man, stop praying those prayers. Nothing's going right. And I'll never forget the day, it was November 1979, when my aunt, who is now pastor's wife, called me on the telephone. She had witnessed to me many, many times, and I was never uh, antagonistic or obnoxious. I was always gracious, but I would always say, ah, mm. did you ever say that? Mm. It's working for you, but I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. The Bible teaches there's none good, no, not one. So I wasn't good. 
And that day, November 1979, she called me on the telephone. I picked up the phone. We chatted for a little bit. She was my favorite aunt. I love her with all my heart. Spoke to her yesterday. And she said this again. I knew she was going there. I knew it. She said to me before I hung up, are you, are you ready yet to accept Christ as your Savior? And I know what she was ready for. She was ready for me to say, ah, man. but you know what I said? I said, yes. Huh? I heard her hit the floor. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> she, she did say that. What did you say? I said, ask me again. Are you? I said, I am. And right there, November 1979, right there, I was, in, I was in my parents' home. I was almost 20 years old. I bowed my head, and I asked Jesus Christ to be my, my, my personal Savior. Amen. Amen. And I don't care what you think of me. I'm saved. Amen. I'm going to heaven. Amen. I own it. I own my relationship. I can say like the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd. I can say like Mary, uh, uh, God, my Savior. I can say like Thomas, my Lord and my Savior, because I own it. I own it. When Jesus said, come, I came. <laughs> and you know what he did? He saved me. Right there, right then, forever. Forever. Now, I have to admit, and I'm almost through, I have to admit that after the fact, I was a little bit like Thomas. Because every once in a while, you know, after I got saved, I didn't become a preacher immediately. <laughs> I was a sinner then. I'm still a sinner, but I'm a saved sinner now, and my sins aren't as bad. No, no. <laughs> I have sanctified sins now. <laughs> you know? When I, when I hit somebody, I hit them in the name of Jesus. <laughs> right? Sanctified sin. You know, when I yell at my wife, it's in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Right? And so every once in a while, I never forget that every once in a while, I would lie in bed, middle of the night, sometimes you can't sleep, and, and I, I would think, are you really saved? How could you be saved? Look at you. You know, I'll tell you something about the devil. He doesn't always lie. Sometimes he tells the truth. Because sometimes he's saying, you know, the devil was the accuser of the brethren, and he would say, you can't be saved, but you, you smoke a cigarette today, or you cuss today, or you ran a red light today, or you? And I'd say, you're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> Jesus, come in the morning, save me right now. Please, if I'm not safe, save me. I did that a few times. I know I'm speaking to somebody. I, I did that a few times. Thomas was struggling. I mean, he, 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 he literally was in Jesus' presence, heard him say, uh, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. But after he raised it up, Thomas said, mm, I'm not going to believe until I touch. But you know, I got saved once, and once was enough. Because it's not based upon me, it's not based upon you, it's based upon him. Because when I called out and put my faith and trust in him, <laughs> he saved me. He saved me. And so the question is today, what has Easter done for you? What does Easter mean to you? If you had to stand up right now and testify and, and say, here's what Easter means to me, and, 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 and this is what Easter has done to me, would you be able to?
Have you taken ownership of God? Have you taken ownership of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? See, that's what Easter is all about. Yeah, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, but why? Here's the whole purpose, and I'm finished. Luke chapter 19, the Bible says, Jesus came to seek, to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to give us better hospitals. He didn't come to give us better, better educational institutions. He didn't come to establish a rescue mission or a, or a, a pro-life. Uh, no, he didn't come for that reason. Is he for hospitals? Yeah, he's a great physician. Is he for education? Sure, he's a great teacher. Is he for pro-life? You fill in the blank. But that's not why he came. He came on purpose. He came on mission. And the mission was to seek those that were lost and save them. <laughs> that's the whole purpose. And after he goes back to heaven, he sends his disciples and, and the message is simply this, tell everybody to, to come. Just come. Come just like you are. Come just like you are. Just like you are. Here's the reason why. God takes us just like we are. Amen? I mean to tell you, if you'd have seen me when I was, when I got saved, when I was, when I was 20 years old, Donna, wasn't I a sharp dude? <laughs> I was a sharp dude, man. Had a lot of hair. Back then, you, you know, you had a lot of hair. I, it was back when, when Saturday Night Fever. Remember that movie? Come on now. Well, I was a, I was a miniature Tony Monero. Hair was back. You know, he walked around. Just strutting all over the place. Yeah. Right? Had gold chains everywhere. Uh, if I'd have moved a certain way, I'd have choked myself. Rings on my finger, diamond, you know, bracelet, the whole deal. I mean, that whole deal. I went to church. I walked into church. I thought, I thought to myself, this place is not going to be able to contain me. <laughs> Everybody was looking at me for sure. <laughs> They're wondering, who is this guy? He's got to get saved, man. He's a mess. Woo. Yeah, yeah, right? But I'll tell you what, I came. And I came just like I was. I never forget the day I got saved, just like I was. Went to church just like I was. Huh? You come just like you are, and then He begins to make you just the way He wants you to be. Amen? Huh? Isn't that great? Come as you are, and I'll make you what I want you to be. And that's all you have to do today is just come. Look at this Bible verse, and we'll finish. Go ahead, flip it, guys. Romans chapter number 10, verse number 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Belief in the heart, confession with the mouth. And it says in verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no hope so's. There's no maybes shall be saved. John tells us in 1 John 5, verse 13, this is the record God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that has the Son of God has life. He that does not have the Son of God does not have life. And then he says this. He says, you can know that you have eternal life. If you believe on the name of the Son of God, you can know that you have eternal life. 
In other words, what he's saying is you can own it. You can own a relationship with God. Do you have a relationship with God? The angel said, he is risen as he said. Come. Come. Maybe today you just need to come. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.